The following sermon by C.H. Spurgeon is called a sermon to open neglectors and nominal followers of religion. But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whether of them, of the two, did the will of his father, they say to him, The first. Jesus says to them, Verily I say to you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, did not repent afterward, that you might believe him. Matthew twenty-one twenty-eight to 32 Decided this vast arena, and of this crowded assembly reminds me of other spectacles which in days happily long past were seen in the amphitheaters of the old Roman Empire. Around, tier upon tier, were the assembled multitudes, with their cruel eyes and iron hearts, and in the center stood a solitary friendless man waiting till the doors of the lion's den should be uplifted that he might yield himself up a witness for Christ and a sacrifice to the popular fury. There would have been no difficulty then to have divided the precious from the vile in that audience. The most thoughtless wayfarer, who should enter into the amphitheater, would know at once who was a disciple of Christ and who were the enemies of the crucified one. There stood the bravely calm disciple about to die, but all around in those mighty tears of the Colosseum, or of the amphitheater of some provincial town, as the case might be. There sat matrons and nobles, princes and peasants, plebeians and patricians, senators and soldiers, all gazing downward with the same fierce, unpitying look, all boisterous for their heathen gods, and all vociferous in the joy with which they gazed upon the agonies of the disciple of the hated Galilean, butchered, to make a Roman holiday. Another sight is before us today, with more happy associations, but alas, it is far more difficult task this day to separate the chaff from the wheat, to press it from the vile, than in the day when the apostle fought with beasts at Ephesus. Here in this arena, I hope, there are hundreds if not thousands who would be prepared to die for our Lord Jesus. And in yonder crowded seats, we may count by hundred those who bear the name and accept the gospel of the man of Nazareth. And yet, I fear me, that both in these living hills on either side, and upon this vast floor, there are many enemies of the Son of God who are forgetful of his righteous claims, who have cast them from them, those cords of love which should bind them to a throne, and have never submitted to the mighty love which showed itself in his cross and in his wounds. I cannot attempt a separation. You must grow together until the harvest. To divide you were a task which at this hour angels could not perform, but which one day they will easily accomplish. When at their master's bidding the harvest being come, they shall gather together first the tares and bundles to burn them, and afterwards a weed into Jehovah's barn. I shall not attempt a division, but I shall ask each man to attempt it for himself in his own case. I say unto you, 
young men and maidens, old men and fathers. This day examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Let no man take it for granted that he is a Christian because he has helped to swell the numbers of a Christian assembly. Let no man judge his fellow, but let each man judge himself. To each one of you I say with deepest earnestness, let a division be made by your conscience and let your understanding separate between him that fears God and him that fears him not. Though no man clothed in linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side, shall go through the midst of you to set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations of this city. Let conscience take the acorn, and honestly make the mark, or leave the favored sign unmade. And let each man question himself this morning, Am I on the Lord's side? Am I for Christ or for his enemies? Do I gather with him or do I scatter abroad? Divide. Divide, they say in the House of Commons. Let us say the same in this great congregation this day. Political divisions are but trifles compared with the all-important distinction which I would have you consider. Divide as you will be divided to the right and to the left in the great day when Christ shall judge the world in righteousness. Divide as you will be divided when the bliss of heaven or the woes of hell shall be your everlasting portion. If the whole of us were thus divided into two camps, and we could say these have made a covenant with God by sacrifice, and those, on the other hand, are still enemies to God by wicked works, looking at the last class, we might still feel it necessary by way of personal application to make a division among them. For although all unbelievers are alike and pardoned and unsaved, yet they are not alike in the circumstances of their case and the outward forms of their sins alike. In being without Christ, they are still very varied in their mental and moral condition. I trust I was guided by the Spirit of God to my text this morning, for it is of such a character that while it enables me to address a whole mass of the unconverted, it gives me a hopeful opportunity of getting it to conscience of each by dividing a great company of the unconverted into two distinct classes. Oh, that for each tribe of unbelievers there may be a blessing in store this day. First, we shall speak to those who are avowedly disobedient to God, and secondly to those who are deceptively submissive to Him. First, we have a word for those who are avowedly disobedient to God. There are many such here. God has said to you as He says to all who hear the gospel, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And you have replied, perhaps honestly, but certainly very boldly, very unkindly, very unjustly, I will not. You have made no bones about it, but given a refusal point blank to the claims of your Creator. You have spoken your mind right out, not only in words, but in a more forcible and unmistakable manner, for actions speak far more loudly than words. You have said over and over again by your actions, I will not serve God, or believe in His Son, Jesus. My dear friend, I am glad to see you here this morning and trust that manners will change with you ere you leave this hall. But at present, you have not yielded even an outward obedience to God, but in all ways have said, I will not. 
Practically, you have said, I will not worship God. I will not attend a place of worship on a Sunday. It is a weariness intolerable to me. I shall not sing the praise of my Maker. I will not pretend to bless a God for whom I have no love. In public prayer, I shall not join. I have no heart for it. I shall make a pretense of repeating morning and nightly prayer in private. What is the good of it? I will not pray at all. I do not believe in its efficacy. And I will not be such a hypocrite as to follow a vain practice in which I have no belief whatever. As for what is called sin, I love it, and I will not give it up. You are proud of being called an honest man, for you own the claims of your fellow men upon you, but you scorn to be thought religious, for you do not admit the rights of your Maker. To the righteous requests of others you yield a cheerful obedience, but to the just and tender requests of God you give a plain and evident denial. As clearly as actions can speak, you say, by your neglect of the Sabbath, by your disregard of prayer, by your never reading the Bible, by your perseverance in known sin, and by the whole course of your life I will not. Like Pharaoh, you have demanded, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice. You are of the same mind as those of old, who said, it is in vain to serve God. And what profit is there if we keep his ordinances? Moreover, my friend, you have not as yet given an assent to the doctrines of God's word. On the contrary, intellectually as well as practically, you go not at God's bidding. You have set up in your mind the idea that you must understand everything before you will believe it. An idea, let me tell you, which will never be able to be carried out, for you cannot understand your own existence. And there are ten thousand other things around you which you never can comprehend, but which you must believe or remain forever a gigantic fool. Still, you cavil at this doctrine and that doctrine, Relin at the gospel system in general, and if you were asked at a working man's conference why you did not go to a place of worship, you would perhaps say that you kept away from worship because you did not like this doctrine or that. Let me say on my own account, that as far as I am personally concerned, it is a very small consideration to me whether you do like my doctrine or do not. For your own sake, I am anxious about measure that you should believe the truth as it is in Jesus. But while you live in sin, your dislike of a doctrine will very probably only make me feel the more sure of its truth and lead me to preach it with more confidence and vehemence. You think that we are to learn God's truth from the likings or dislikings of those who refuse to worship him. And what an excuse for their sins. Oh, unconverted men and women, it is very long before we shall come to you to learn what we should have us preach. And when we fall so low as to do that, you yourselves will despise us. What? Shall the physician ask his patient what kind of medicine he would wish to have prescribed? Then a man needs no physician. He can prescribe for himself. Show the doctor out at the back door directly. What is the use of such a physician? Of what service is a minister who will truckle to depraved tastes and sinful appetites and say, How would you like me to preach to you 
what smooth thing shall I offer you? Ah, souls, we have some higher end to be served than merely pleasing you. We would save you by distasteful truths, for honeyed lies will ruin you. That teaching which a carnal mind most delights in is the most deadly and delusive. With many of you, your beliefs and tastes and likes must be changed, or else you will never enter heaven. I admit that, in a measure I like your honesty in heaven set outright. I will not serve God, but it is an honesty which makes me shudder, for it betrays a hard heart as another millstone. Again, you have said, I will not serve God, and up to this time it is very possible that you have never been in a humor to repent of having said it, for the ways of sin are sweet to you, and your heart is fixed in its rebellion. You have never felt that conviction of sin which the Holy Spirit has wrought in some of us. If you had felt it, you would soon have been shaken out of your, I will not. If God's power of grace, of which thousands of us bear witness, it is Israel, a power is that which guides the stars or wings of wind. If God's almighty grace should once get a hold of you, you would no longer say, I do not believe this or that, for as tremendously as any of those whom you now despise, you would cry out, What must I do to be saved? Up till now you have never felt that power and therefore I cannot wonder that you do not acknowledge it, although the testimony of honest witnesses ought to have some weight with you. You are practically, intellectually, and avowedly no Christian. You have never deceived yourself and others by making a profession which you do not honor, but you have gone on in your own chosen path, saying with more or less resolution, in answer to every call of the gospel, I will not. You have just now said that the answer of the son to his father is recorded in our text was very plain. It was not, however, very genuine, or such as his father might have expected. His father said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son rudely said, I will not. That is flat. And without another word of apology or reason, went his way. This is not quite as it should be, is it? Even so, my friend, you may have been too hasty, and so have been unjust. Is it not very possible you have denied to God and to his gospel the respect which both really deserve? You have spoken very plainly, but at the same time very thoughtlessly, very harshly to the God who has deserved better things of you. Have you ever given the claims of the Lord Jesus a fair consideration? Have you not dismissed the gospel with a sneer quite unworthy of you? Have you not been afraid to look the manners between God and your soul fairly in the face? I believe it to be the case of hundreds here. I know it to be the case of thousands and ten thousands in London. They have put their foot down, and they have said, None of your religion for me. I have made up my mind, and I will never alter. I hate it, and will not listen to it. Does no small voice within ever tell you that this is not fair to yourselves or to God? Is a matter so easily to be decided? 
Suppose it should turn out that the religion of Jesus is true. What then? What will be the lot of those who despised him? My hear, the religion of Jesus is true, and I approve this truth in my own case. Do, I pray you, consider it, and do not trifle away your immortal soul. Thus saith the Lord, Consider your ways. It is now time for me to tell thee openly and godly what is his real state. You have been more than a little proud of your honesty. In looking down upon certain professors of religion, you have said, Ah, I make no such pretense as they do. I am honest. I am, friend. You cannot have a greater abhorrence of hypocrites than I have. If you can find a fair chance of laughing at them, pray do so. If by any means you can stick pins into their windbags and let the gas of their profession out, pray do so. I try to do a little of it in my way. Do you do the same? You and I are agreed in this, I hope, and heartily hating anything like sham and falsehood. But if you begin to hold your head up and think yourself so very superior because you make no profession, I must take you down a little by reminding you that it is no credit to a thief that he makes no profession of being honest, and it is not thought to be exceedingly honorable to a man that he makes no profession of speaking the truth. For the fact is that a man who does not profess to be honest is a professed thief, and he who does not claim to speak the truth is an acknowledged liar. Thus, in escaping one horn, you are thrown upon another. You miss a rock but run upon the quicksand. You are a confessed and avowed neglecter of God, a professed despiser of the great salvation, an acknowledged disbeliever in the Christ of God. When our government at any time arrests persons suspected of Finianism, they have no difficulty about those gentlemen who glory in wearing the green uniform and flaunting the big feather. Come along, says the constable. You are the man for you were the regimentals of a rebel. Even so, when the angel of justice arrests the enemies of the Lord, he will have no difficulty in accusing and arresting you, for laying his hand upon your shoulder. He will say, You were the regimentals of an enemy of God. You, plainly and unblushingly, acknowledge that you do not fear God, nor trust in his salvation. No witnesses need be called concerning you at the last great day. You will stand up, not quite so bravely as you do today, for when the heavens are on a blaze and the earth is rocking to and fro, and a great white cloud fills a field of vision, and the eyes of the great judge shall burn like lamps of fire, you will put on a different mane and a different carriage from that which you maintain before a poor preacher of the gospel. Ah, oh, my ungodly here, with such a case as yours, there shall be no need of a judge, for out of your mouth you shall be condemned. Yet I came not here to tell you of your sins only, but to help you to escape from them. It is necessary that this much should be said, but we now turn to something far more pleasant. I am in hopes this day that some of you will listen to that little word in the text. Afterward, he said, I will not, but afterward he repented and went. It is a long lane which has no turning. Let us trust that we have come to the turning now.
There is space left you for repentance, though you may have been a drunkard, or a swearer, or unchaste. The die is not yet cast. A change is yet possible. May God grant you that you may have reached a time when it shall be said of you. Afterward, he repented. He changed his mind. He believed upon Jesus and obeyed the word of the Lord and went. Perhaps the son in the parable thought a little more calmly about it. He said to himself, I will consider the matter. Second thoughts are often best. I growled at my good father. I gave him a sharp answer, and I saw the tears standing in a good man's eye. I am sorry, I grieved him. The thought of grieving him makes me change my mind. I said no to him, he said, but I did not think about it. I forgot that if I go and work in my father's vineyard, I shall be working for myself, for I am his eldest son and all that he has will belong to me, so that I am very foolish to refuse to work to my own advantage. Ah, now see, my father had my advantage at heart. I will even go, as he bade me. See, he shoulders his tools, and away he marches to labor with all of his might. He said, I will not, but he repented and went, and it is admitted by all that he did the will of his father. Oh, I hope that many a man and woman now in this agricultural hall will this day cry. I retract what I have said. I will go to my father, and I will say to him, I will do your bidding. I will not grieve your love. I will not lose the opportunity of advancing my soul's best interest. I obey the gospel command. I will suppose that I see one such before me and I will speak to him. Perhaps, he said, I will not, because he really did not understand what religion was, how few, after all, know what the way of salvation is. Though they go to church and to chapel, they have not yet learned God's plan of pardoning sinners. Do you know the plan of salvation? Hear it, and live by it. You have offended God. God must punish sin. It is a fixed law that sin must be punished. How then can God have mercy upon you? Why only in this way? Jesus Christ came from heaven, and he suffered in the room place instead of all who trust him, suffered what they ought to have suffered, so that God is just. And yet at the same time he is able to forgive the very chief of sinners through the merits of his dear son, your debts, if you be a believer in him. Christ is paid on your behalf if you do but come and rest upon Jesus. And upon Jesus only, God cannot punish you for your sins, for he punished Jesus for them, and it would not be just of him to punish Christ and then to punish you, to exact payment first from the surety and afterwards from the debtor. My dear hearer, whoever you may be, whatever your past life may have been, if you will trust Christ, you shall be saved from all your sin in a moment. The whole of your past life shall be blotted out. There shall not remain in God's book so much as a single charge against your soul. For Christ, who died for you, 
shall take your guilt away and leave you without a blot before the face of God. Read the last verse of my text, and you will see that it was by believing that men entered into the kingdom of God of old, and it is still by believing that men are saved. Behold, the Lamb of God, said John the Baptist, and if you look to that bleeding lamb, you shall live. Do you understand this? Is it not simple? Is it not suitable to you? Will you still refuse to obey it? Does not the Holy Spirit prompt you to relent? Do you not even now say, Is it so simple? I will even trust in Jesus.